0: I had an experience this past weekend, we, um, we went on a road trip, any road trip fans? I have been going on road trips, my family didn't really fly much when I was, when I was young, and um, so there's just something about getting in a car and just knowing you're going for hours and watching the scenery change, and so that's what we're doing. And before I, I dive into that, were you here last week? Trisha's message was incredible. Uh, We are so blessed. Trisha, thank you so much. And um, let me give you the little uh, diagram that Trisha was starting to unpack. We're in a series called Pass It On about being disciples and making disciples, And Tricia was talking about the three components that we train people in when we're making disciples, and that's look up, look in, look out. And so you saw this last week, this little plant, because it's like a living... A living, breathing, growing organism. So, discipleship is look up, look in, look out. So, Tricia introduced Look Up. And so, in the coming days, we're going to be talking about Look In and Look Out. But today, I'm zooming out to the 30,000 foot view. It's like we're getting on a plane and looking down at the whole landscape of discipleship. And, you know, when you're on a road trip, you're, you can see forever, especially if you're heading east. So, the, the funny thing is that we were going to the mountains of New Mexico and they're beautiful. I've been going there my whole life. New Mexico is definitely not for everyone. It's it's pretty bare. It's pretty sparsely populated. Uh we got to do a day of skiing. Uh it's not your normal choice for a ski trip for a Californian. It's not the the, the you know the, the more glamorous Tahoe or Mammoth. It's not Park cities, it's not Aspen, not Vail. But for me, it's, it's like a second home. So you, I think most of you guys know I grew up in Central Texas. So the closest mountain range was the White Mountain National Forest in New Mexico. So we were going to the city called Rio Doso. I've been going since I was 13 years old. I've actually been staying in the same house there. My extended family has a house there. That's why we'd go. It's kind of ironic because if you want to know what New Mexico looks like, it looks exactly like Mount Laguna. So we drive 13 and a half hours to get to some place that looks like 45 minutes from here. Um, but it's free and you can't beat free, right? So, uh, but here's what I noticed is that I, as I was going on a hike that I've been going on, I'm 47, I've been going on this hike since I was 13. The trees are greener now. The sky is bluer. Now, the, the snow is whiter. The, the view is more beautiful. Let me just show you a couple of the pictures. So this was the view from my hike. Um, just I, I, I just got lost in, in the, the glistening pine needles dusted with snow. Uh, here's what I saw on my hike. I felt so blessed by the Lord. I actually ran into a herd of elk. And so I, this, is, this is a picture I took. That's just a small group, a portion of the 30 elk. So I just sat there, mesmerized at them. And then I stayed up on the hill until the sun was completely down. I just sat there gazing at this. So here's the sunset I was looking at. And the interesting thing is, I enjoy the little things of life so much more now at 47 than I did at 13 when I started going. You guys heard me talking about my grandmother a couple weeks ago as a person who impacted my life as much as anybody on earth. And I noticed this about my grandmother, especially uh, in, in, the, in the last days, in her 90s, is that she could just sit in a room and just look at her children and her grandchildren and her even great-grandchildren, and she just had this smile on her face. And I thought, that's so not me, right? I I remember, you know, I I grew up going to her home. She lived right across the the way from me. And I would watch her and and I was always moving. You know, I'm always going to play the next video game, always going to play football in the yard, always doing the next thing. And yet grandmother could sit there really for hours and just be completely content and just smiling and and enjoying the next person in, in front of her. Interesting on this road trip. The moment we got her, we borrowed a friend's van, and I, I just got in the van, and I was just just snug as a bug. Looking back, my daughter was with us. You know, she's off at college, but she was in the in the van, and I could just enjoy looking at her. Uh, we would sit around the dinner table. I didn't want the dinners to end, and would would play you know, kind of slow word games around the fireplace, and I just enjoyed it so much. There is something about getting more mature that gives you a greater capacity for joy. So why discipleship? Why Why is discipleship so important? Let me give you one word today, maturity. Why is discipleship so important it's maturity. And why in the world would we want to get mature? Because you guys know in America, there's this cult of youthfulness. Like we don't like getting older. The amount of millions and billions of dollars for wrinkle cream, right? And whoever, you know, the, the owners of the collagen factories these days, are making millions, because we do everything we can to not get older, and we despise getting older, and we have this cult of youthfulness, and we celebrate young people, and And, and why, is, why is there, and, and I, I can tell you, I battle the thoughts of like, oh no, I'm getting old, oh my gosh, there's more gray in my beard, and oh, I can't do the same things that I used to do, and, and why do we, why are we bombarded with this despising of getting older, it's because the devil knows that in maturity, there's a greater understanding of your identity, there's a greater fruitfulness from your life, and there's a greater joy. And those are three things that the devil despises. And so I wanna talk to you today about Christian maturity. And the reason discipleship is so important is it is the vehicle through which we mature. It is the vehicle. Just like that van pulled my family together and we drove all the way to New Mexico and had this incredible experience. Maturity comes through the vehicle of discipleship. So I I wanna unpack for you today the stages of Christian maturity. If I could have my, my vibe board, if someone could pick that up for me. But let's start by looking at John, 1 John 2, 12 through 13. 1 John 2, 12 through 13, because the Apostle Paul, actually, if you could put it over here, Jason, on these, uh, these dots right here. The disciple John, or the Apostle John, gives us this understanding of the different stages, thank you so much, of Christian maturity. And so we see three of the stages very clearly here. I am writing to you, dear children, say dear children, children. because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, say fathers, Fathers. because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, say young young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Okay, so we see in this three stages, children, young men or women, and fathers or mothers. And there's another verse, uh, numerous verses, that show us actually the first stage in Christian maturity. It says in First Peter, this is the other friend of Jesus that was walking with him, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that By it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tested that the Lord is good. So here's what I didn't understand growing up in church. I basically saw it as one stage. I saw you were lost, and then you're found. You are dead, and then you're made alive. And basically, all of my Christian faith was once you got saved, which is so awesome, by the way, but once you got saved, everything was just looking back and saying, singing these songs like at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my sin rolled away rolled away it was you know and we'd, we'd always sing back oh, amazing grace how sweet the sound. those are awesome songs but all it basically Christianity was like this mountain and then the rest of it was kind of looking back and wishing you could get back onto that mountaintop experience are you following me but that was never God's intention The intention was to be on this long journey. And yes, there are mountains and there are valleys, but you're continually moving from glory to glory. So let me show you the stages. So here are stages. Stages. I was expecting more of a woo when (laughs) this came up on the screen. Our church is maturing in our technology, as you can tell. So um, first is the baby stage. Okay, so what is the baby stage? That is salvation. Okay, the Bible says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in the way that you once lived. So there is a time in all of our lives, and if you're not there yet, I encourage you to take this step today. Robbie, is that you on the back row? I am so glad to see you. This guy's going through the fight of his life with cancer and amazing to see on the back row. Can we just extend our hands towards him for a second and just be the church? Lord, we just thank you so much, Robbie, and we pray for the whole Kirsten family. We, we speak healing life over his physical body. We ask that you'd raise him up, Lord, and we thank you for giving him the strength to be here today and strengthen his spirit today to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. I hope that didn't embarrass you. I hope that just made you feel loved. <laughs> um, here's the baby stage. A baby is born. A baby is born. So there is a time where you realize I'm dead. I need a savior. You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord. John three sixteen. right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You are born again. When you believe in Jesus, you're born and you're made alive. It's, a, it's an amazing, it's amazing to be a baby. Like how awesome to be a baby. Like you're born. And, and, and one of the most amazing things about a baby is they're born and you're immediately put in your mother's arms. And so one of the most positive experiences is you're born, you're alive and you receive love. Okay, so that is the amazing thing about being a baby. And here is what is said about a baby. Let's see if I could just draw a little image of a baby. Here's a baby. Here's a mouth. Here's an eye. And it says you crave spiritual milk. Here's a little bottle. I don't know how good that is, but. So it's awesome. It's awesome to be a baby. Brothers and sisters, but, but let's, let's talk about, uh, you don't wanna stay a baby, okay? Um, that, that's actually, you know, it's awesome to be a baby, but then it's a derogatory term to say, you're such a baby right? Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You were still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are not worldly. Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? Here's how you can know that you're a baby if it's all about who you follow in life, Because you're having to be fed milk, you can't, a baby can't feed itself. So here's what I wanna share. Often in the body of Christ, people put their identity in, well, I'm, you know, I listen to, I, I listen to, or I go to the church of, right? I listen to Francis Chan. I'm not picking on Francis Chan. We're having him into our conference. Francis is awesome. But you will notice that people they, they will talk about, well, I'm of Bill Johnson. Well, I'm of Dr. David Jeremiah. Well, I am, and they, their whole spiritual life. Now, this is a baby, because a baby, when a baby, all they know is their parents. So they're completely dependent on their parents. But don't think you're mature if you're like, well, I need to change churches. I need to, because I'm not, I, I, I need some deeper theology or I need more entertaining messages, or I need that, that, is, that, what does that show? When people bounce from place to place, it shows that they're a baby because their whole spiritual life is dictated on what they are spoon fed. Are you following me? So some people are like, man, I need deeper theology. What are they showing when they're going, I need to go to this place or that place? They're just showing they're a baby. They're actually not more mature but because why? The, the, the Bible says this, in fact, though at this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves. You see that word? The, the goal of a church is not to spoon, fed, spoon feed people. You, you do spoon feed babies, but the goal of a church is to help people train themselves. Are you following me? So when you hear someone say, Well, I'm not getting enough, you know, and, 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 and so common in San Diego that people move from, from this church to this church to this church to this church to this church. Why? It's because they're babies. Because. A church is not gonna always teach what you need at the time. That's because you're called to train yourself. I'm really trying to help you out here uh, but because you're not called to be spoon-fed your whole life. So, so what do they do? It, that you, you, you're called to train yourself. So now let's move to the next one, a child. This is the next phase. Okay, this is what 1 John says. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Let's talk more about children. 1 John 3, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So if I was to draw a diagram for children, it would look like this. A baby, a a baby can't do anything for themselves. A baby's spoon fed and a baby in a family. Babies are really cute but they're really selfish. You ever notice that? The second they want something, the second they want to be changed. Babies don't do jack for a family. But children, children start learning. Did you see this? nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. It says, if you're a God's child, you're learning to love your brother and sister. Here's the awesome thing. So it's awesome to be in the baby stage, but, but really um, lame if people stay a baby their whole life. Okay, so they are to move to the children's stage. And children's stage is so great because all it's so neat when all of a sudden you're like, my, my four-year-old, actually just shared their toy with their two-year-old. There was a revival in my family. That's so sweet. Or you're like, your four-year-old actually takes the dish to the sink. And you're like, this is unreal. You fed yourself and you brought your dish. It's amazing. Okay, the, the other thing he says, First John says, I'm talking to you children because you know your sins are forgiven. Okay? So, a baby, it's, it's awesome. They get saved. But then, a child, you're a child in your faith. You actually come to this greater place of maturity when you're not always questioning have I lost my salvation? Right? Do you know you don't have to live in a questioning whether you're a child of God? Like, some people never leave this stage their whole life. That is God, not God's intent. His intent for you is not to question whether you're saved for the rest of your life. I can't tell you how many people I've met with. They're 50, they're 60. And they're like, pastor, I think I'm saved. And I'm like, oh, that breaks my heart. Because you might be 60 in real life, but in the spirit, you have a diaper and a pacifier in your mouth. Now, don't be condemned about that. God actually has for everyone. Like God didn't intend for some people to say babies their whole life. Right? He's not like you, diapers forever, okay? No, God, can I just tell you that this isn't for just the spiritual elite? This is just for ones who choose to go on the journey with him. Everyone gets to grow up to be a father or mother, but you decide if you, if, if you go there. It's called the journey of discipleship. So a, a, a child has two things. One, they actually understand they actually understand that, that their, their sins are forgiven. And a child actually understands that they're part of a family. So they start serving others. So, um, so here's a great one. The people that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I just don't go to church. Well, then you're a baby. Okay, so if you're like, I just stay home because have you ever heard people, well, my faith is between me and God. Then you're a baby. Because babies are just like, it's me and my parent. But children actually learn to take care of their brothers and sisters. And they they actually learn to serve in the family. Are you following me? So don't ever think, like, some person, they're like, yeah, I just stay at home and study my theology because I'm like, great, but you're just drinking milk. Because life is not about information, it's about transformation. So you can't have a lot in your mind and your body not be transformed and actually think you're mature. That's just not the case. A child actually looks to the needs of others. A child serves. A child is outward focused. So as long as someone's just all about themselves, I don't care how much they have in their head, they are a spiritual baby. Are you following me? Okay, some of this, some of this too is just good because it's gonna just defeat spiritual pride. There's so much pride in the church. But until we're learning to care for others, we're not not growing in our faith. Okay, so let's move to the next phase. The next phase is young man or young woman. So John says, I'm talking to you young men. Okay, now why would you ever wanna grow up from being a child? You know, I mean, Peter Pan, play the rest of your life. It's just awesome to be a child, to be taken care of. And I mean, I remember being a child and I was like, why would I ever want to grow up? Like my parents take care of everything. Why would I want to go on a road trip that I have to pay for? Okay. Um, but I can't imagine never getting to drive or what? I mean, if you just say, child, you never get to date. Wow. I've never got to be with Steph. Uh, you, you you don't get responsibility, and, and a child lives in the context of their family. A young person starts stepping into their purpose and their destiny. But but here's what I need you to see. First John says this: I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him from whom it's the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men or young women, because you have overcome the evil one. So if I was to draw a picture, I'd draw it this way. It's the devil with his horns. That's his eyes. Pitchwork. And here's the young, here's the young man. Run, Forest. <laughs> Do not ever be deceived and think someone is mature because they have a bunch of head knowledge, they know a bunch of theology, but they're living in bondage. You're not a mature believer. You could, you could have all the knowledge, you could have all of this theology, you can even be serving your tail off but you're an addict or you have a a secret porn addiction or you're addicted to food or you're addicted. Anything that you can't control in life means that you're not living an overcoming life of freedom. And there is a stage in every, and some of you don't even believe this. I think many of you do because we emphasize this so much. There is a stage in your Christian life where you are living the majority of your life in an overcoming way. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free to no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. So there are so many people in this church that are not living in addictions to to vices. Now, if you're dealing with that, I don't want you to be condemned, I just want you to know that there is freedom for you. Like, I, I love our, our, our massive Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry that we have here, because so many are starting to walk in their freedom. I love our Freedom Day. And I'll have pastors say, I could never have a Freedom Day because no one in my church will admit they need freedom. And I'll say, I admit that I need more freedom. Right, sometimes I preach and I get off the stage and I'm like, I have, I'm having a vulnerability hangover because I've been so real. But we all need to, no one has arrived, but I do want to tell you, I am so much more free than where I started. And I'm not, I I did have addictions, I did have bondages in my past, and I'm not dealing with those, but God, now it's God's working on mindsets, God's working on heart attitudes. Don't think that someone's mature when they're not walking in in a level of freedom. He says, I'm talking to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. So once again, don't be impressed with someone that has all this knowledge or they're saying, hey, I'm moving. I'm going here and I'm following this teacher. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you at least want to, to have some growth. But if they're a total jerk and they have anger issues, then you're still a baby or at best you're a child. Because God is growing you. And, and, and so let me tell you the other thing about young men and young women is their body starts changing and they can reproduce. That's a cool thing about not being a child anymore. Child can't have babies. A young person, a young man or young woman can have babies. And so what is Paul? The, Paul is this absolute spiritual father. And what does he say so Timothy, this is, this is so cool. He actually says in 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, Timothy, the things you've learned. So this is a young man. And Paul's not just saying, okay, all young people just come and follow me. He says, Timothy, the things you've learned, this is 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who can train others. He's saying, this is Christian maturity is when you start having spiritual children yourself. Okay, so don't ever think that someone actually is a mature believer who doesn't have spiritual offspring. Okay, but we don't even stop there. The last one is fathers or mothers. Now this is really cool. First John. One, two, again. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him, who is from the beginning. What is spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity is actually knowing God. Now, look at this Greek word for a minute. It's gnosko, because in our mindset, we have such a Greek mindset that's all just about the mind. But that's not what scripture teaches us, is to know. So if you look at the word, can we put up the Greek of the word? Are we able to switch to that? I want you to see the definitions. To learn to know, come to know, get acknowledged. You're like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's like, I, I'm, knowing, I'm knowing about God. To become known. Oh, wait a second. It's not just like head knowledge. It's like, oh, I'm actually becoming known. So now you're starting to feel, oh, this is real relationship. Like, the only way to become known is you can't just read it in a book, but you've actually spent time with someone to know, understand, perceive. Now we're talking about perceptions that we take in through our different senses, to have a knowledge of, to understand, to know. But now watch this next one. It's going to make some of you blush. It's the word for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. Now that is the most. In Scripture, it talks about Adam knew his wife. This is the most experiential. This transcends just head knowledge to physical, to to, to soul, to uh, the most intimate kind of relationship. And this is what it's saying. And so, don't get lost now in in that in that thing. But but stay with me in understanding. No, this is talking about the most intimate relationship you can have. As a being, that's what you're supposed to have with God. So that is why, and we'll talk about this, I don't, I'm, I'm running out of time, so we're gonna dive into this next week, but that is why the great commandment is this, to love the Lord with all your... No, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why, why, why did I rebuke you when you said mind? Uh, because I think it's very interesting that, we put, that, that Jesus actually puts mind as third. Because your knowing God is so much more than just knowing facts in your mind. The, the, the Bible says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your isn't that interesting? Do you know where you see Jesus first? And Trisha started talking about this last week. We see him in our heart, but it doesn't just say heart, that you would love the Lord with all your heart. And we know that the only way we can love is if we've been loved. We love because he first loved us. So what does that mean? It means that a true spiritual mature person has received a knowledge of God and is interacting. They're receiving and then giving through their heart. Then they're interacting and receiving through their soul. Right? Most of us in America, we don't even know what a soul is. We just think it's a cool type of food or some groovy music. Uh, heart, soul, mind. So our mind is important, but isn't it interesting that it's third? And strength. How, am I receiving the love of God in my body and then am I using my body to love God? him back. I'm, I'm trying to uh, go on a journey of, of, of me experiencing God more, not just, I, I'm pretty cerebral. I'm an academic person, but I'm trying to understand, okay, how can I love you more with my heart? And then how can I even from the very beginning train my children? So I'm driving to school and I've been learning this exercise. I've really been studying this. It's been an awesome series to study for. And uh, one of the exercises that, that this neurotheologian does, it says, okay, God, God is with us and God wants you to experience him. And so one of the ways that we can do that is think of a memory, what he'd call a golden memory, a time where everything just felt as it should. Go into that memory, think about that memory, And then feel what you felt in your body and then ask God what he's saying to you. So I'm driving to school with my youngest son. It was a tough week for him. He got in a jet ski accident, busted out his teeth. So I'm like, it's a rough, rough week. He's lost a half of both his teeth. And so we're we're driving to school and I'm like, so uh, John Mark, I want you to think of a memory. And so he just, this is, what, he, what comes up? He's like, well, I was, we were in the park. I was at the park with my friends and we were just laughing and having fun. Okay, I said, so close your eyes and just see that. And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, what do you, what do you feel? And he's like, well, I just, I kind of feel just happy and I feel peaceful. And I said, okay, so now Jesus is with you. Okay, Jesus is omnipresent. So I want you to just ask the Lord where he was. And he goes, oh, I, I, I just see him looking down. On me, I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Because what am I doing? My son, in, with the eyes of his heart, is starting to not just have thoughts about God. Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. But he's starting to have like an interaction. And I said, now, John Mark, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to ask God what he's saying about you. And you're gonna either see something or you're gonna hear something, you're gonna feel something. So we wait a long time. He's like, well, I didn't really hear anything but I just saw him smiling at me. Like, how does that feel? Oh, it feels good. I said, so John Mark, today, whenever you're going up throughout your day and you start feeling pain from your teeth being knocked out or you're having a hard time or someone says something jerky to you at school, I want you to think about this memory and what you're experiencing from God. Why? because I'm training him to be more mature. I'm training him to live with a constant knowing of God, of God's smile on him, of his pleasure. You know, you receive joy when you feel loved by someone. And there's no person more important to feel loved by than God. Would you just close your eyes with me? Let's just finish by doing this. Uh, For me this week, close your eyes and let me just finish with a story. For me, I was watching a movie with Steph and there was a scene, a hospital scene uh, with this football player and the coach, uh, he's never gonna play football again and the coach shows up in his doorway uh, to just tell him that he's with him and I just start crying. And the reason why is it just totally brought up an exact scene from my life. And so what I had to do was I had to go into this memory and I, I, could, I could totally proof text this for you from the Bible for those who, or who are, are new and I might be able to do that later, but I went back into this memory, it was very painful. And I said, Jesus, where, where are you? And it was crazy because I saw I saw in my mind, I saw God in the room with me. And I'd always felt alone in that hospital room. And then I looked and I didn't expect this, but I saw like a dozen angels in my, I'm not seeing this with my eyes open, my eyes are closed, I'm seeing this through my heart, but I'm seeing a dozen angels. And I had the most amazing experience of comfort back from that memory that brought one of the greatest desolations of my life. What I'm trying to tell you is you can do this with a, a wonderful memory, you can do this with a painful memory, but I just want you right now to ask God to bring a memory to mind. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a joyful one, hopefully it is, but maybe some of you came in and you were so down and you need to, you need to be in a, in a painful memory. But I want you to ask God to show you where he was. You're gonna either see him in your mind's eye, through your heart, you're gonna feel them or you're gonna hear them. Just have your eyes closed. And we're trying to see God with our hearts, so you're not trying to figure out this with your mind. But when you start feeling God's presence or or some words pop in your head, or when you actually, in your heart, you just start seeing him in that memory. Would you just, all over this room, just wave at me? I'm not going to point you out. Just just wave when you're starting, however it is, but you're like, oh, I'm experiencing God now in this. Yeah, it's just amazing. You see, we're moving past just a head knowledge of God to experiencing him. Just stand up with me.